take notes. Yeah. No, you're not. No. no. <laughs> How's everybody doing? <laughs> Let's start off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the privilege that it is to gather in your name to, to just look at a piece of your word to us um, and, and just study that, Lord. Um, look at what it means to, to live as followers of you today. Um, we need you, Lord. The world around us needs you. Um, and we are image bearers of you. And I pray that today we would come away uh, just understanding what it means to, to live in a way that tells others around us who you are, what you've done, and, and what you're like. And so, Lord, I ask now for your spirit to be here. Uh, rest on me as, as I share um, the word that you've given me uh, from your word. May your voice be the loudest voice that is heard. And rest on the people here um, as they, they listen and receive it. Lord, may it, it generate faith in their hearts. And may they uh, become more like you because of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So there's a lot of you guys in the room who I don't know. Uh, or maybe I, I just met, so I don't know you very well. So I, I guess I'm just going to take a second to tell you guys a little bit about myself. My name's Drew, um, assistant pastor here at Loon Mountain Ministry. My family and I moved up here two years ago, uh, this June, and um, before that, my wife and I, we met uh, at Philadelphia Biblical University, where we both studied health and physical education, as well as biblical studies, and we left uh, being prepared to be phys ed teachers, which we did outside of Philadelphia for about three years. And uh, that was a really awesome time. Um, I worked in a school for troubled youth. And uh, man, God really grew me in understanding that um, I, my, my need to show his love to others is only because of the love that he's already showed me. And, uh, and so after about a year of teaching, I was enjoying it, but I still felt that God was calling me uh, to minister to people full time. And he had given me a passion for the outdoors. And so I started reaching out to different camps and outdoor ministries. And Marcus was a person that I knew who uh, was in that industry. And so I gave him a call and just kind of shared my heart with him. Um, he said, you know, man, that's really awesome to hear that. Our ministry is growing rapidly and I have way more on my plate than I can handle. Let's stay in touch over the next couple of years. See what it would uh, be like to have you guys maybe come up for a summer. That's what happened. Uh, a couple summers later, my wife and I volunteered for the summer being teachers. We could do that. And uh, at the end of the summer, uh, I just knew that, that God was calling us here. And uh, I told Marcus, hey, man, we're still, we're still um, game. If you guys are ever in a position to, to bring on another full-timer, keep us in mind. And that whole next year was just spent praying by us, by our friends, by the ministry. And uh, two years ago, God brought us here full-time. So... That's how we landed here. Um, a little bit about me and my family. My wife is uh, probably juggling a toddler and a, and a three-week-old right now trying to get in the door. So uh, she will probably be making it in here soon. But her name is Trish. I uh, hope you get to meet her. Um, so over the last year, actually, we've been making our way through the book of Romans. Um, and Marcus says that this was not a book that he wanted to preach because uh, of how theologically based it is. 
book of Romans is actually one of my favorite books, and it's cool that Marcus, God has placed Marcus and I here because I think our gifts really complement each other, and our personalities complement each other for working as a team. So Romans is a book that excites me. It was written by a guy named Paul, uh, formerly known as Saul, who was a, a zealous Jew that persecuted Christians. He uh, was met by God uh, on, the, on the road to Damascus. God revealed himself to him and said, Stop persecuting me and start preaching me to others. And so Paul, uh, Saul was, was named Paul after that. His life was transformed. And he went on to write the book of Romans and many other uh, letters in the New Testament. Um, and so up to this point, it's taken us about a year to get through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 um, essentially lay out the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. Uh, if I were, there's so many good verses in the book of Romans, but if I were to uh, give one verse that summarizes the book, I think it would come from Romans 1, verse 16. And Paul starts off his letter saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Um, and that gospel is this. Marcus uh, gave us a picture of what God did for us. But the gospel is this. I actually, uh, in your uh, bulletin by the notes, I put a little acronym in there that is helpful for me to remind this, remind myself of the gospel. Um, and I almost hesitated to do so because I think a lot of times we can be guilty of thinking that the gospel is a formula, that if I do this and I say a prayer, uh, then that's what God wants for me. But the gospel is really the story of the God of the universe, our loving Father, pursuing his children and wanting to redeem them back to himself. But if you want to reference that, um, you're welcome to. And the gospel is this, that God created us to, to worship him and to know him. And he, he made us in his image. When God created the world, he made humankind unique. He said, you have been created in my image. And from that came our identity. We are image bearers. We are to be a reflection of the one who created us. Uh, Romans, uh, God made himself to be known by us as well. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We're made to know and worship God. That is our identity. Sadly, in order to have good news, you need bad news, right? And that's that our sin separates us from God. And it's not just Adam and Eve, although they were the first to commit a sin. It's you and I, and every human that has ever lived, except for one, um, has fallen short of God's glory. Uh, if you continue on in Romans 1 after verse 20, it says... For although they knew God, they, need, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. 
And we do that, each one of us does. We exchange the truth of God, who he is, for a lie. And we worship other things, thinking that they can satisfy us like only God can. But what ends up happening is, when those things don't satisfy us, whether it be work, relationships, money, uh, power, sexuality, when these things that are secondary things, we try and put them in the place of God, they leave us feeling empty. For a time, it's like a bucket of water that has holes all over it. If we put dump enough water in it, it'll fill up for a short time, but before long, it'll be empty again. And that's what we do. Um, nothing will satisfy us aside from the one who created us, and that was his design. And so that sin separates us from God. It's, it's just like there's a natural law, a natural law of gravity. If I picked up Marcus' guitar and let it go, it would fall and most likely break. The, there's spiritual law, and that's that God cannot be one with sin. It separates us from Him. Now begins the good news. Paying for our sin, Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. A lot of times I think we forget this part of the gospel, that Jesus didn't just have to die. He didn't just come to earth and die immediately. He needed to live the perfect life for his, per his payment to be permanent. He lived the perfect life in our place. He died in our place. And he rose from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. So that everyone who confesses that he is Lord over their life and believes in their heart, Romans 10.9 says, that God raised them from the dead, will be saved. Saved and given new life with God through His Spirit. And that life begins today and lasts forever. John 17 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And it's on this gospel that we as believers take our stand um, it's what we have hope for in the future. It's our past, present, and future salvation. Um, somebody that, uh, a pastor that I've really come to respect, he says, we have, as far as our past salvation, we have been saved from the consequence of sin. Uh, Jesus did that by dying on the cross. We've been saved from, we're being saved from the power of sin in our life as the Holy Spirit continues to conform us to the image of Jesus. And we will be saved from the presence of sin when Christ returns and makes things, uh, all things new again. And so our, our salvation is past, present, and future. So that is, in, in a couple minutes, the first 11 chapters of Romans, to get you guys up to speed. Verse, I mean, chapter 12, excuse me, is the now what. Um, and it starts with the, the word therefore. Like, in light of all this, therefore, it's kind of the... Start, starting to get into the, the practical uh, ways to live out our faith, to stand on the gospel. Um, and if you look at verse 1, I don't know, it's not on the sheet, but verse 1 says, Therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And my par paraphrase of that is, Therefore, because of how good, how loving, how merciful, how gracious God is, because of how much he has already loved you and sacrificed his son for you. Live your life in such a way that tells others who he is, what he's done, and what he's like. In other words, be an image bearer. Be what God made you to be. Be human. 
side note, I think it's funny that um, a lot of times we use the phrase, uh, well, I'm only human, you know? But our humanity was never the problem. God created us human, and he said that it was good. It's sin that gets in the way and distorts our humanity. That's the problem. Um, and so that brings us to uh, verse 3, where we have our scripture today. Um, I'm going to reread that for us. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed, distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. It is te- if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage. Then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And for most of the summer, we've been pausing on this verse and just going through each one of the gifts. Um, and so Marcus reminds us each week that, uh, that gifts, that they paint a picture of Christ's body, um, not just here in Romans, but also uh, in other places in Scripture. Um, his body is his church. Um, we are one body, but we have different functions, and Christ is the head. Um, these gifts that we've been given are actually not meant for us. They're from God. They're intended to be used uh, and shared with others. Ultimately, so that God will be glorified, not ourselves. Um, his gifts are never meant to end with us. Uh, they're always for others so that, so that we can bear his image uh, and he would be glorified. Um, and so, and I don't know about you, there, there's been times in my life where I've kind of thought, like, how do I know if this is my gift, you know? Like, how do I know if I'm supposed to be a teacher or an encourager or uh, whatever it might be? And I think my answer to that would be start by simply loving people, and I think your gift will present itself naturally from you. Um, and God will naturally bring the gifts from you just by an outpouring of love. Another thing that I've learned is that a lot of times uh, other people notice gifts in others before people notice them in themselves. So I uh, never knew that I was a leader until my junior year of high school. My youth pastor said, Drew, you're a leader, and I would like you to to step in and, and lead youth group in this certain capacity. And I was like... I've never been told that, and I never knew that. But once somebody spoke that word into my life, um, God kind of, you know, used that to to really help me see that he had given me that gift. And so if you see somebody who is really good at encouraging or is really generous or really good at showing mercy, don't assume that they know that they have that gift. Um, Share that with them and encourage them. Um, And so... You know, you'll know that, that, that you have a gift, one, when you see that it, it bears fruit. Um, 
that it gives you a sense of overwhelming satisfaction and joy when you use it for the sake of Christ. Champion those gifts um, for Christ and for God's glory. Uh, be a demonstration of, of the gospel using those gifts and teach others to use those gifts too. Um, don't get stuck on one gift. I know that this, this passage kind of says, if your gift is specifically this or specifically that, then do this or that. But, you know, the truth is you can't really separate uh, the gifts. They're not totally distinguishable because, you know, when we're serving, we're often also encouraging. When we're giving, we're also serving. When we're leading, we're also likely showing mercy and so on and so forth. So, um, I think I think this is because God wants us to be a reflection of Christ in every way, uh, not only with our strengths. Um, you know, His power is made perfect in our weakness, and I think we're to be champions of the gifts that come natural to us, but we're also to allow His power to shine through us in our in our weaknesses and in our other gifts. Um, Ephesians 4 says that we are to be built up into Christ in every way. Um, and so that's why it's important that we as a body uh, share gifts with one another. I can learn a lot from Marcus about preaching and teaching. I think I have become a better teacher and preacher listening to him uh, give sermons. Um, and I probably better at fielding emails than Marcus. I'll say this. Our ministry calendar looks way better now that Drew's here. <laughs> <laughs> His administrative gift is good, and I've learned from it as well. So if we take a look at verse 3, the first uh, verse in the scripture, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I believe Paul is prefacing this, this section on gifts by saying, exercise these gifts with humility, but also with faith. Um, I was listening to something by John Piper this week, and he said, the opposite of pride is not paralyzing self-condemnation, but liberating Christ's exaltation. Knowing that when I use my gift, I don't have to, to have any kind of false uh, self-hate, saying like, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. Give Christ the glory, saying he's using me, and, and the work that he's doing is only because of his spirit. Um, and so whatever platform we've been given... Don't love it. Don't, don't you know, praise yourself for getting yourself there. But also don't despise it. Because when we do that, we're, I think we're rob, we can rob God of the work that he is doing in and through us. Um, but he warns us, have humility. Remember that it's not about you. Um, remember that you didn't get yourself here. Um, and that these gifts that you're using are, are for God's glory, for others. Um, and sometimes maybe you're thinking, all right, well, like, humility is not the problem. I'm actually terrified to, to use any of these gifts. Um, and what is it that keeps us from, from potentially using gifts that God might be laying on our hearts? It's fear. Um, I'm afraid to lead because what if people don't follow or what if I fail? 
I'm, maybe I'm afraid to give, to be generous because, I don't know, I might not be able to make that car payment this month. I, I might have to do without this or that thing. Maybe I'm afraid to encourage because what if I make a fool of myself or what if I'm not qualified? Who are people to listen to me? But a verse that I've been clinging to uh, over the last several months is perfect love cast out fear. When somebody is in front of you, somebody that maybe you don't know, who's an outsider, um, and, and the spirit is, is whispering to you, hey, go talk to them. Go encourage them. Show them love. When I start to, you know, have that, res- the, not, uh, like, hesitation, that verse comes to mind, and God reminds me that, hey, if you love them, if, if your first motivation is love for them, you don't have to. Take today, for example. If my first motivation is, is to love and share the love of Christ with you all, I don't have to worry about you guys thinking that I'm, you know, not qualified or um, because love casts out that fear. So that requires faith. Exercise your gifts with humility and faith. Um, in this list, we have made our way down to giving generously today. Um, and I have four, four thoughts on giving that I'll, that I'll share with you. Um, the first being the most important. That I've talked a lot already about how we are made in God's image and we are image bearers. Um, and so we want to give in a way that reflects who God is, how he has loved and generously given to us already. Um, Romans 8, 31 uh, and following has been a a powerful verse for me as well. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We've already been given the best thing in Christ. You know, as a parent, I, I... I'm learning so much more about God and how he doesn't withhold good things from us. I, I look at my 17-month-old daughter, and she's trying to get at things under the sink or behind the TV. And I'm, I'm like, sweetie, that there's nothing good for you there. And I pick her up, and she screams, and she kicks, and she thinks that she's missing out on something, but she's not. God has given us the greatest thing in Christ. And so it starts with that, understanding that we've been given everything already. And so um, here's what Jesus says about giving in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. As I was listening to that, uh, that clip from John Piper, a, a pastor that many of you are probably familiar with, he said, um, the older I get, the more I've learned to take the statements of Jesus literally. Um, and here in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, give to, the, give to the ones who ask you, do not turn away from them. When somebody asks you for, to go with one mile, go with them too. If they ask for your cloak, give them your tunic as well. I don't think Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. I don't think he's exaggerating. Um, 
And you know, you, you might, I think a lot of us struggle with this. What about, what about panhandlers, people who are begging on the streets? Um, you know, they're just going to use the money to, to buy drugs or alcohol or, you know, they're not going to be a good steward of it. So I, I don't want to give them money to, to feed their addiction. Um, you know, when we stand before God, do we really think that he's going to be commending us for being so shrewd as to not be taken advantage of? Or will he say well done to those who risked being taken advantage of in hopes that some would understand his love for them? Which one is a better reflection of how God has generously loved his children? Now understand, there, there are good ways to, to do things, you know, if you're ever able to, to give someone who's asking food or take them to a meal where you can hear their story, do it that way. And I would, I would prefer to, to get to know that person on a, on a more personal level than just giving them cash. But I think we have made it our default to say, no, I'm not going to give because I don't trust that this person will use this gift diligently. <clears throat> but what if God said that about us? How many times have we squandered the gifts that he's given us, yet he still chooses to give of himself towards us? And so I would challenge you, don't let your default, let your default be to to give more than you should. Let it be to be taken advantage of for the sake of Christ that some would know God's love for them. Um, Remember that it's, God says, his kindness, it's his kindness which is meant to lead us to repentance. That's from Romans 2. Last time I checked, Jesus commanded us to be salt and light in the world, not judge and jury. Um, so that's number one. Give in a way that reflects God's generosity to you, that he has already shown to you. Number two is listen to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit might be telling you to give for a season, or there might be a, a brief window of time where God wants to use a resource that you have. Um, and listen to that Spirit. Don't fight it. Um, last year, I was, uh, as, as a missional community, I was taking uh, a, a young man who was in our missional community, new to the faith, uh, we were doing a service project for one of our neighbors, just him and I. And uh, at the start of the project, we had to make a Home Depot run. Um, and the person we were doing the project for said, hey, like, whatever the supplies are, um, you know, just bring me the receipt and I'll, I'll reimburse you. And we're like, okay. Um, and this project we thought might take half a day, maybe a little bit more. It ended up taking us about a day and a half. So we were already uh, had served, in a sense, beyond what we thought we would. And we get to the end of the project, and uh, she says, do you have the receipt? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's right here. And she's like, oh, I'll take it. And I was like, okay. And she starts going down it, and she says, all right, I see uh, this piece of flashing here that you didn't use. Um, and she kind of paused, and, you know, I could tell what was going on in her head was, all right, I didn't, you didn't use it, so I shouldn't have to pay for it. And the Spirit was gracious to me. At that point, I had already felt like I had overextended myself. And my flesh was saying, like, who does this lady think she is? Like, we've already given way more time than we ought to have. Um, and now she's trying to nickel and dime us. And let me tell you, the, the whole 
receipt was a matter of like 35 bucks, and so this piece of flashing was maybe a couple of bucks. And thankfully, you know, by the grace of God, the Spirit stopped me and He said, "This lady needs to to come to a better understanding of my generosity." So what I want you to do is, I want you to go home, come back. We had to go get lunch or something like that. And, um, tell her that. There's one thing that you want from her for doing this project, not a reimbursement. Tell her you want to have her over to your house and uh, share a meal with her. And so I came back and I said, sharing, you know, I thought about it and, you know, don't worry about the receipt. There's just one thing I would like for you to do for me um, as a thank you for us doing this project. And she was kind of like, uh, nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I said, I would like to have you over with my family, have dinner with us sometime. And her, dro- her jaw just dropped. <laughs> For the rest of the, the afternoon, she was saying, are you sure you want me to come over to your house? Because for a long time, she has, was a recluse. And, you know, what God, I believe, taught her starting that day um, has really begun to transform uh, a lot in her heart and in her life and, and it's seeing fruit so listen to the spirit um, don't resist it that's number two number three is understand that all resources are God's uh, Psalm 24 1 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the fullness thereof and all who live in it um, two things about this when we see all things as belonging to God we're free from their grip on us. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the show Hoarders, or maybe you've seen the real thing, a hoarder. Um, it, it's not a pretty sight. Um, I have seen that, and I've seen the grip that it has, that, that owning things can have on us. You know, there's a familiar saying that says, the more stuff you own, the more it owns you. When we see God as the owner of all things, we can live with an open hand. And it won't possess us. Um, because we have an open hand. Um, the other part of that is that when we see that all things belong to God, we're free to give. Because our God is a gracious and generous Father. Um, Ron Corey, Marcus's dad, is one of the most generous people I know. And Marcus is really good at giving away stuff on his dad's behalf. I don't think, because he knows his dad is a generous father. I don't think I've ever been within 20 miles of Ron Corey around a mealtime ha- and Marcus, where he hasn't called Marcus and said, Hey, you want to meet up for lunch? I'll buy you guys lunch. I'll buy you guys sandwiches. Um, that's just the kind of person he is. He's extremely generous. He loves people. And Marcus knows that, and so it's easy for Marcus to give away his dad's free meals. (laughs) It's the same way with us. When everything belongs to our Father, the creator of all things, whose even the breath that that we breathe was given to us by him, when we have that perspective, it doesn't hurt to give it away, because it wasn't ours to begin with. Um... And lastly, number four, God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 6 through 8 says, Remember this, 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, God doesn't need our gifts, our generosity. He has storehouses of wealth. And he's not typically in the business of strong-arming things away from people. If he does do that, it's probably for their good, not because somebody else needs what they have. Um, Remember, giving is not just for the good of others, but it's God's design for us as image bearers because by doing it, we point others to him. In the following verses in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 9 through 11, he says, uh, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is God's economy. The more you give the more you will receive so that you can continue to give more and more. And as a result, others will praise God. This is the paradox of our faith. Give and you shall receive. Empty yourself and you will be filled. This is what Jesus did and this is what he calls his people to do. To bear witness to the generosity of his love that was given through Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. I encourage you guys, be image bearers of our God. He's a generous, loving Father who sacrificially gave his Son so that we can have a new life. And that life is not for our own purposes. It's ultimately for his glory so that the world around us can see who he is and what he's like. Thank you guys for listening. Let's pray. Father, you are a gracious, loving, merciful Father. So generous to us, Lord. In view of your mercy, Lord, in view of your love, your your generosity that you've shown us in Christ by giving us the greatest thing, Father, may we be a people who bear your image. A people who are generous, People who give freely beyond our means, trusting that you're going to take care of us. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that he came so that we might have new life to know and worship you as we were intended to do. I pray for anyone in this room who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus that that today they would come and receive his grace, putting their faith in Lord, I thank you for your continual work in our lives, that you've saved us from the penalty of our sins, that you are freeing us from the power of sin in our life, and the hope that we have that you will remove sin completely. Father, we praise you, your most holy and precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen.